Okay, if you could please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in our first study in the book of Romans. We were in John for two full years. We did a little study in the book of Jacob, and now, yes, we are in the book of Romans. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, meaning he was a man, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, meaning he was also the Son of God, by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord. Lord, I can honestly say that uh, 30 years into my walk with you, I am more excited than I ever have been just opening up this word and teaching it. God, I just thank you for that. Lord, your goodness is here, just as Kelly just said. It's here, and it's for me, and it's for every man, woman, and child in this room. Father, I just pray that you would just open it up to us, Lord. Unplug our, our ears, open up our minds, our hearts. So that we would drink in your word deeply. Cut our hearts, Lord. Be that surgeon who you promised to be. And Lord, we rejoice because you're also the healer. And you're the, you're the one who lifts, brightens, sustains our countenance, our joy, Lord. Do all that today, Lord, in this word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. It has been said of the Christianity, the particular brand of Christianity, there's no such thing as a brand of Christianity uh, in the Bible, but 
people make up brands. It's like Hollywood stars work on their brand. It's a tragedy. Christian churches and movements work on their brand. It has been said of the brand of Christianity in the United States that it's a thousand miles wide and just an inch deep. It's really shallow. And I see that everywhere I look. It, it, it grieves me tremendously. You may be here today and if you're honest with yourself, you feel the same way of your own faith. It's shallow, it's fruitless, it's not powerful. It's an inch deep. Well, I can tell you the book of Romans will cure you of that. The book of Romans, it's a thousand miles wide and a thousand miles deep. About two and a half years ago, we were at the end of the book of Ephesians. I was teaching through it, and one of the sisters in the church asked me, so what uh, book are we going into next? And I said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm seeking God about that. And she said, you know, huh, the book of Romans comes to mind. And in my heart, I'm thinking, oh, don't say that. Because I've been thinking the same thing, uh, and it's a painful thought. Because going a thousand miles wide and a thousand miles deep uh, is, is a hard thing to do. So much to my relief at the time, I just felt the direction from the Lord, and I really believe it was from him to, to go into the book of John, and that uh, is what we did. But now it's time, uh, the book of Romans, Samuel Coleridge the English poet called Romans the most profound book ever written. And, and that's, that really is uh, not an exaggeration. It's certainly among the most profound, deepest books uh, ever written. What usually is said of this book is that it contains the entire theology of Christianity from A to Z. Uh, and by that, um, I mean everything, an explanation of everything about Christianity. Now, why the Apostle Paul, we'll talk a little bit about him for a while, chose to do this in a letter to the, a church in the city of Rome, which is the center of the Roman Empire, as opposed to a church in another city, we do not know. This I do know. I don't think I know of any Christian who has a number of years into their walk with God, a genuine walk of, with God, who does not point to the book of Romans as a life changer. A life changer for them in some way. That was certainly true with me. And, 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 and again, to use a term that I've already probably used too much, it, it was true in the most profound way. For me, for me, it was Romans 6, where there is an in-your-face declaration, in Steve Cole's face declaration that I could be free from sin. The bondage of sin. 
if there's anything that described my life prior to 24 years old, it was a bondage slavery to the power of sin. But Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says this. Our old man was crucified with Jesus. Speaking of someone who has come to him and embraced him by faith. Can you back up, Sean? That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, uh, people read that, freed from sin, and they're like, oh, surely that's not saying what it's saying. Oh, yes, it's saying that. (laughs) Next verse, uh, same chapter, Romans 6, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's the normal Christian life being a slave of righteousness. That's not some abnormal thing for a particularly spiritual person. It's what the God by his spirit, and there's a lot about the Holy Spirit in this book, will take you. A slave of righteousness. And that's a good thing. And it's not a boring thing. It's an exciting thing. And then you're set free from sin. Well, he said it twice. Maybe, I, 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 you know, come on. Maybe this is like uh, some aberration or something. No, he says it a third time. Romans chapter 6, 22. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. And so that was a, a life changer, a game changer for me. I have thought before, if I was ever on a deserted aisle and I could only have one chapter in the Bible, it would be a chapter in this book, and that would be Romans chapter 8. Many of you uh, probably would agree with me. It's right in the middle of the 16 chapters of this book, and it, it takes you right to the very highest mountain, the peak of the highest mountain of the chain of mountains in this book. It's been said if you're going to memorize any chapter in the Bible, and by the way, I hope some of you do. You will be so blessed if you memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. And just, but please, don't let it be, what is it, Psalm 117, like the three lines? No, not that one. That's a good psalm. But, but, but uh, uh, the, the, what will happen to you it will be so changing, transformative if, if you uh, memorize a whole chapter of the Bible. But it has been said, if you're going to do it, Man, woman, dude, Romans chapter 8. I'm just a very brief survey of the peak of this book. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is the NIV right here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just let that sink in, brothers and sisters. No condemnation, no guilt that you have to live with. No shame. Just moving on, and I'm just, just going through this chapter, uh, some of the, uh, the, the verses that are just right at the top of the peak here. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. This world is about fear. 
That is what this world is in bondage to, fear, fear of the opinions of man and, and everything else. And we're told, we're promised with this life in Christ that we didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, meaning Abba, meaning Daddy, an affectionate term, meaning God's not this monster anymore. He's my Daddy. And then this one, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It says what it says and it's true. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then, the end of the chapter, chapter 8 in Romans, says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So when you see that word slave of God or slave of Christ, this is who you're a slave to. Well, that term uh, has some bad connotations today. But this is who you're a slave to. Who shall uh, 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 separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the peak of the mountain. And that's where we're we're going eventually here in uh, the book of Romans, the three great themes. I need to speak just a while about the book as a whole before we start verse by verse. Three great themes of the book of Romans, the, glo- the glory of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. The glory of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. The Holy Spirit ties these three things together in this book in such a way that they become inseparable. They become like one The book finishes up, chapter 12 on, in a real practical way. In other words, and now that you know about the glory of God, the love of God, and the grace of God, this is what you do. And and then the message, by the way, is clear. The, The glory of God, the love of God, and the grace of God will become the engine. And if you're one of those... Um, car guys or car gals, it becomes the, the V6, the V8, the V10 for a fruit-filled, purpose-filled, love-filled, and grace-filled life. The glory of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. So who is it that wrote this book? This book, A Thousand Miles Wide and A Thousand Miles Deep. 
course, we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of the whole Bible, including the book of Romans. Never forget this, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. But who did God use as a human agent, his human vehicle, vessel? This man, the apostle Paul, his name is the first word of the book, Paul. Who was the apostle Paul? Well, originally his name had been Saul. God changed his name just as the Lord changed the name of Jacob into Israel. After he became a Christian, he changed his name from Paul to Saul, uh, from rather from Saul to Paul. And Paul describes himself, he describes who he was prior to becoming a, a, a Christian. Philippians 3.5 says this, Paul's describing himself here, circumcised the eighth day. That's a, re a reference to a Jewish law, which you do with uh, a male child on the eighth day after the birth. He describes himself, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Another way of saying it, Paul was a Jewish thoroughbred. That's what he was. A Jewish blue blood, an Israelite through and through. When he's talking to Jews in, in Jerusalem in Acts 22, this is what he says. He's speaking of himself. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, he's referring to Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the, you could say, number one rabbi of the time, the number one scholar, the number one professor of Judaism. Brought up at, at, in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God. In Galatians, he continues the description of himself, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Paul was zealous for God, and he was zealous for the Jewish law. So he's been raised in this perfect manner. You could say he went to all the right religious prep schools, the most renowned, famous Jewish college. He's filled with zeal for God. And then something happens. There's an enormous disruption in the religious life of the Jewish community that he loved so dear. He was so zealous for the, this Jewish community and that the community be, be run in a Jewish way according to the law. But this, it's all disrupted. The way things had always been done was being threatened. Uh, it was being threatened by the lies of followers of a man named Jesus Christ, who was reported to have been a prophet and a miracle worker, 
who was crucified and had risen, was reported to have been risen from the dead, and his followers were calling him the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, which were, who was prophesied about by the Jewish prophets of old. And the followers of this Jesus Christ were declaring for all to hear that the law, the Jewish law that Paul loved so dearly had been perfectly fulfilled or had achieved fulfillment by this man Jesus. And that in order to enter the kingdom of God, a Jewish man or Jewish woman no longer put their trust in following the law in order to, to enter the kingdom of God, but they put their trust in Jesus Christ himself, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who they were saying was alive. At the right hand of the Father. This infuriated this man. This just, he, he was literally turned on fire for evil. It says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, then Saul still breathing threats and murder, meaning that's what was in his heart. Murder was in his heart against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul was a maker of orphans. He made orphans. That's what he did, this man. He made kids into orphans. Little boys, little girls. Next chapter, uh, next verse chapter 28, uh, verse 10, he says this then, many of the saints, meaning Christians, more on that word later, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Meaning he was, on a, 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 he was a judge on a panel of, of men who put people to death, who decided, sentenced people to death. The first Christian martyr, the first Christian who was put to death for their faith. Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Paul participated in that killing. This man, the Apostle Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, can we go back to Acts chapter 9? While he was still breathing threats and murders... Well, he was still doing it. He was on his way to a city called Damascus. Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting me. Why? He was persecuting the church. He was, he, he was, he was putting Christians to death. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he, he was cast to the ground. He was, he was um, uh, just by the, by, by the strength of the power and presence of, of Jesus Christ, and, and there was a light there. He, he was cast to the, uh, to the ground, and 
blinded. And after a few days, he went to, uh, into the next city, and, and, and a Christian man was told to, 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 to go uh, uh, actually pray for healing for him to, to gain their, his eyesight back. And, and the man who he told, a man, I think his name was Anna, said, what? I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. This man is killing everyone. He says, just, no, you just go do it. And his, his eyes were open, and from that point on, He turned from being, breathing threats and murder, murder to breathing the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. What is grace? We've talked about this a lot. We've put this up a lot. Grace, when you deserve a punishment, but you got a reward. He, he, he got the privilege, the reward of outside of Jesus Christ probably having more influence than any other man, any other Christian man or woman. That's what he, and he was killing people. Some people before uh, uh, this, uh, prefer this, this definition, gift. When you deserve a punishment, you get a gift. In 1 Timothy, he says of himself uh, uh, later on, uh, years into his walk with God, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. In other words, he had an understanding of just how many crimes that he had against God. And, and he would encounter few, if any, people whose record of crime against God was worse than him. And then he, uh, he, he goes on to say in, in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1, but I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Meaning, Brother, sister, you're in here, you're haunted by some thing, some things that you have done, and it just does not seem to reconcile or seem right in your own mind that a God of justice would ever allow you into a relationship or into heaven. The point that Paul is making here, he says that I would be a pattern, an example to those who are going to believe. Listen, if God had grace on the apostle Paul who went around murdering Christians, there must be something about salvation, about coming into a relationship with God that has something to do with something other than my own goodness, my own work, or my own lack of ugly things in my past. It must have something to do with grace, that is getting something that you don't deserve. And so th this book's all about grace. <laughs> grace in the New Testament, 
150 times, 100 of those times are the, uh, by the Apostle Paul, 24 times uh, in the book of Romans. So uh, let's start with verse 1. We're not going to get very far into it, but uh, let's, let's, let's go again. This is the greeting, verse 1, of Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, meaning he's a, he's a man according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God, meaning he's also fully God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, meaning Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, meaning for his glory, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So this is a greeting. That's what the first uh, six and a half verses are. It's a greeting. The greeting here in these verses, the greeting is a description of who the letter is from. In other words, Paul is describing himself, and it's also a description of who the letter is to. In other words, Paul is describing them. Now, we're not going to go very far into this greeting today. We're going to spend time on it next time as, as well. But I, what I want all, you, all of you to get loud and clear as we're studying uh, through the book of Romans, uh, if you are a Christian, and if it's a big word, because you may not be, we're not born Christians because our parents were Christians. The Bible says we must be born again spiritually in order to become a Christian. But if you are a Christian, uh, when Paul describes who he is in this greeting, he's also describing you. Really important for you to understand this louder. It's, it's also uh, describing you, with the exception of verse 1 and verse 5, where he calls himself an apostle. But in those two verses, well, all you have to do is fill in the blank with what God has called you to. In other words, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. For me, it was uh, 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 Steve Cole, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be a, a, a husband, called to be a father, uh, called to be a, a pastor, called to be a good neighbor. So just fill in the blank with that one word apostle. But everything else, it's talking about you if you're a Christian. You are a bondservant. You are, end of verse one, separated to the gospel of God. That's who you are. It, it, it says, verse five, you have received grace. Verse six, it says, among you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So not only are you, not only are you everything that Paul describes himself as, you're everything that these folks are who he writes to. Are you following me? In order to understand this letter, you have to understand that in this greeting, if you're a Christian, you're everything Paul is, but you're also everything 
that the people are who he's writing to, meaning, verse 6, you are the called of Jesus Christ. You have been called by Jesus Christ himself. Verse 7 says, uh, uh, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God. You are beloved of God. Now, you're beloved of God in a unique way. It is true that it is true that uh, everyone in the world God loves. God so loved the world. But that's not, that's not what this is talking about. He said, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, when, when I'm writing to uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I say to my beloved wife, she's not thinking, well, he's a Christian, so he loves every way, everyone, so I guess I'm like any other person. That, no, <laughs> not at all. She, she is distinctly and uniquely loved by me. If you are a Christian, you are distinctly and uniquely loved by God because his son's blood purchased you. More on that in a little bit. But, but my point is, everything who Paul says about himself, you are too, with the exception of that word apostle, and everything he describes uh, the, the, the Christians in Rome are, you are as well. You've been called by Jesus Christ, you're beloved, and then finally in verse 7, called to be saints. And we talked about this word last week, saints means a holy one. When you think of saints, please, I know many of us, have a twisted definition of it because of a, a church we grew up in who there's just a few men and women who are saints. No, no, every child of God is a saint, the Bible says. And, 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 and un, un, unfortunately, those who have taken the doctrine that every child of God, it, not just every child of God is a saint, but just a few, man, they have twisted the grace of God. And they've confused so many people. You are a saint. A saint is a holy one. A holy one is someone who has been called and separated by God. And that word holy, that word holy, what it means, you're separate, you're different, meaning you are like God. You are holy, like God is holy. And when you think of holy, please, 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 if you spend any time in this church, I hope you know. Holiness is not supremely not doing things. It's not supremely not fornicating, not getting drunk, not using foul language. That's a Muslim. That's a Buddhist. That's, a, that, that's an Orthodox Jew, unconverted. No, holiness is supremely God's, about God's love, who he is, that makes him separate from everything else. He's a God that loves. He is a God who rejoices. He is a God who is kind. He is a God filled with tender mercy. And a holy person is seeking after things, not avoiding things. They may be avoiding things if things are not going well in their life. If things are going well in their life, they're not even thinking about avoiding. They're thinking about seeking the love of God, seeking the word of God, seeking the heart of God. That's what holy is. And it says... To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be holy, called to be a saint. So I'm going to conclude with this. It's the first four or five words. 
So it's Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Oh, how I just love just chewing on that verse and letting that verse, that, that concept of being a bondservant of Jesus Christ just seep in to my heart. I'm going to call up on the screen the verse that I, um, from Romans 6, it was such a life changer for me. I'll tell you a true story. I had every intention of putting this verse on the screen, and when I got up this morning in my devotional, the verse that my devotional was about was this verse. God wants us, Calvary Chapel, in the book of Romans. Having been set free from sin and becoming a slave of God. Now that word slave is the word doulos. And it's the very same word here in Romans verse 1 where Paul says a bondservant. Many translations say slave. In the Greek, it's the same exact word. A doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Some translations say servant. That's not really doing it justice. The reason being that the underlying root Greek word mean is chains or bonds. It's something more than a servant. A servant can take off. I don't like this job anymore. I don't like this life. I'm getting out of here. No. A bond servant of Jesus Christ is someone who's been bonded to him, meaning once you're bonded to Jesus, that's it for all eternity. And it's a good thing because he loves you. He loves you. Just take a few hours and meditate on the cross, that scene on the cross. He loves you. A bondservant of, uh, of Jesus Christ, a bondservant or a slave has been purchased. Paul says, one, he begins this book, the book of Romans, Paul, someone who has been purchased by Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a slave who has been purchased, a bondservant who has been purchased by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, same author, do you not know that you are not your own? You were bought at a price. That's talking to you, Christian. You're a bondservant. You've been bought. You, you don't own yourself. You, you do not have the right or the, of a, as a Christian just to go out and do whatever you want to do. That, see, that's why Christianity is miles and miles an inch deep. They, they don't understand that the love of God has taken them to a, a, a thousand miles deep. Where, where they're, they're, they're not all, they don't own themselves. We, don't, we no longer own ourselves. Next verse, uh, it says this in Acts 20, uh, verse 28, the, the, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Next verse. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. Sorry, that's, not, it's, that's actually Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 7. That's a New Living Translation. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. Listen, Calvary Chapel. It is, it is such 
it gives me such a feeling of peace and security knowing that God owns me, that Jesus owns me. I'm his responsibility. And the purchase price was the blood of his son. It's the blood of his son. Why does it say, why does it call me beloved? Why does it call you the beloved of God in verse 7? That's a love, again, much world, much much more distinct and unique than the God has for all the world. The, the Bible says in, in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus says God gives the unrighteous, the wicked, the unbeliever, the one who opposes him, every person in the city who's, who's mocking God, who curses God, who blasphemes God, he is, he's loving and kind to them, it says. But that's not the love of God that it's talking about when, in verse 7 when it calls you his beloved. You're his beloved because you were expensive. He bought you with the blood of his son and he loves you for that. His love is sealed by the blood of his son. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time and we will be, we'll do the rest of the greeting next time. But, but, uh, Again, that sense that we're not, that we're owned by God. We're owned by a God of whom we are told that neither tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword can separate us from him. It's that kind of love, loving God. That's the one who owns us. I want us to rise just for a closing worship song and and ask the people who've been asked to pray to come up. If you've never in your life come to the place where you've just told God outright, I want you to take ownership of my life. Come up for prayer. If there's anything else that has been stirring in your heart, maybe you lack a peace, the peace that he purchased for you, just resting in the fact that you're not your own, you're owned by a God who loves you. Come up, let's pray about it. I'll be up here. Some others will be up here. But let's worship. We're going to close in prayer and we'll worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. It's right off the, the bat in this book, Lord. We're, talk about identity. The world running after identity, exhausted, just trying to build up their self-esteem and feel valuable about themselves. The first verse of the book of Romans says that we're, we're owned by you, Lord Jesus. We've been called by you. First we were called, then you, it says in your word we were, we were called 
before we were ever even conceived. We can't really even understand that. But, and that says we've been separated to the gospel of God, meaning we've been, we've been separated to, for purpose, for fruitfulness, for some role in our life. Paul was an apostle. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a husband. There's many people, just many places in their life, Lord. And I pray, Father, for anyone who doesn't know their calling, that they would be seeking you out. You give them the grace to seek after you, and they discover that. But, Lord, you are a gracious God. You own us. You love us. We're called beloved. Lord, as we worship you now, I just pray by your spirit, even as we are getting to know the glory of God, the grace of God, and the love of God, let it be our worship, be the fuel of our worship now, Lord. The V6, the V8, the V10, the engine, Lord. Let us walk out of here the same way, Lord. You know that's what you want. We know that's what you you called us to. Just say thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.